Hello, and welcome to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. I'm Meg Thomas, and if you want to live a more open-hearted, magical life, it all starts with your emotions. This podcast will take you on a journey, helping you to better understand, express, release, and heal your emotions. Let's get exploring. Welcome back to the Emotional Expedition podcast. And today is a special episode, a little different than what I've done previously, because it's almost my 40th birthday. So in this episode, I am going to share 40 quotes that have inspired me to live a more courageous, wholehearted life. And I hope you find many that speak to you, speak to your soul as well. So I've been thinking a lot about my 40th birthday, which is on the 26th of May. So depending on when you listen, might be before or after this episode. And these decade numbers seem to mean something more to me than others. So for example, on my 30th birthday, it felt as if everyone in my life was having babies and something of which at the time I had no interest in doing myself. But even so, I could sense the transformative qualities of it and was very conscious of what I was doing or not doing with my own life. So it's like these decades allow us a moment to tune in, to check in with ourselves, to see what kind of path we're on, to see what's working in our lives and what's not. So obviously, naturally, I signed up for a triathlon. It was my 30th birthday. This was my first ever sprint triathlon, kind of a way to commemorate that moment in time and to push myself, see what my body was capable of. So I trained for months ahead of time for the biking part and the running part. And since the gym I belonged to didn't have a pool, I never actually practiced the swim (laughs) convincing myself that because I was in such good shape from the running and biking, and I consider myself a good swimmer, I grew up on a lake, I didn't think twice about it. So the week of the race comes, it's early. It's like that first week of June. I, I don't know what it was, June 3rd or 4th, somewhere within like a week of my birthday. And this is early season for us in Cuca Lake, where I was having the triathlon, is a very cold lake. So the temperatures were also cold in the air. They ended up the week of requiring wetsuit, making it wetsuit mandatory, something I did not have, nor had I ever practiced in one. So I was able to find one. I borrowed a slightly too large one from a friend and practiced in it one time before the day of the race. So the night before the race, Ian and I arrived, we go check in our hotel, and then we went to Cuca Lake where I picked up my welcome packet. And he and I walked down to the water. And I remember looking at him and he was looking out at the water, pointing at the buoys and said, you have to swim all the way to there. And this was the first time the first time that it was a visual of what 750 meters of swimming looks like. And 
at this point, I am just, I am keeping it together. I pretended to not even be phased by it. However, that night, I barely slept at all. The fear starting to creep in and wondering what on earth I had gotten myself into. So the morning of the race comes. It's drizzly. It's cold. One of those damp days you don't want to get out of bed. I get all my gear together and head off to the check-in. I placed my bikes in the racks and was told I had to go to a small section that was labeled fat bikes. So even my bike didn't fit in. I felt like I didn't fit in. I didn't belong, but my bike did not fit in as well. So I put on my wetsuit and I head down to the water where we'd be called in by age groups and by gender, being as it was a race with both men and women. I didn't know anyone doing the race, so I just stood there alone, excited and nervous, but mostly nervous. So I'm on the edge of the water, just waiting to get called in. I jump in the water. The shock of the cold water hits me hard, probably the coldest water I've ever swam in. And I quickly realized that I could not do the freestyle stroke, which Basically, everyone in these triathlons does a freestyle because it's like the most efficient way. But there were waves and the wetsuit was too big. So I was feeling overwhelmed and I had to keep my head above the water. And freestyle is not my strongest stroke. So I actually began to do the breaststroke, which I would say is probably the slowest of all the strokes, but it allowed me to keep my head above the water. So uh, naturally, everyone began to pass me because I was going so much slower, but I kept going and I couldn't look at how far I had to go. So I knew where the like the furthest buoy was, where you turn and you head back. I could not look at this because this was me being close to that edge of overwhelm. All I could do was focus on the next buoy or the next person in a kayak that was there if you needed to rest. So here I am. I begin to count my strokes because this is also what I have to do for my mind. I am counting my strokes one, two, three, all the way up to 10, and then going back and just looking at the next buoy, the next marker for me. And when you're scared like this and when you're feeling overwhelmed, it's extra scary to be in the water. So I'm just counting. This is how I'm going to make it through this is just counting. About halfway through, right before I was about to turn to come back, the next heat caught up to me. So the next heat was probably released like five minutes after me. They were older. So all of these things in my head was, you know, I'm supposed to be faster. I'm younger. I'm in this first heat and all these things. So this next heat catches up to me and I can't even be embarrassed because I'm actually just in survival mode. So I finally hit the furthest buoy and turned to make my way back. And I realized that the wind was now against me, which actually made the second half even harder than the first. So I just did my own race. I went painfully slow, staying completely focused on the next stroke. And eventually I finally made it to shore. And I knew my family would be there cheering me on. 
And I couldn't look at any of them for fear of completely breaking down. And I felt like if I break down now and start crying, I will quit. This will be it. So I purposely avoided looking at Ian and my uncle Andy, who was the one who had inspired me to run a race in the first place. I saw him run the New York City Marathon and that inspired me like, oh, I could do something like this running. So I guess what Ian told me later was I was quite blue when I got out of the water at that point. And he was very worried because he saw the next heat had caught up and was just didn't know where I was. So I'm glad I did not make eye contact with him. So I ran up the stairs. I shed my wetsuit. I head over to the very small, lonely section of fat bike tires and I hopped on my bike. Yeah, so the fat tires, yes, means my bike was slower (laughs) than everyone else's. So I was at a disadvantage once again, but I didn't care. My intention was always to complete the race, not to care about where and how fast I finished. The bike ride was actually beautiful, wrapping itself around the rolling hills of Cuca Lake. It allowed me to catch my breath. I found my stride. It was about 13 miles long. I was able to notice the beauty around me, and I kept going. And then I got to the run part. Just a simple 3.1 miles left to go, which I was prepared for, but I had never done all of these things back to back to back like this. So at this point, my legs were just completely jello. I was barely able to jog, let alone run. I stopped at every water station. I looked at mailboxes, seeing my number everywhere. So I would see 26 or 526 everywhere as if the universe was telling me, keep going. We're with you. You're not alone. And the thoughts running through my head were, this was the dumbest thing I've ever done. Why did I think I could do this? Why was I so wildly unprepared? This was stupid. I am stupid. But I kept going, feeling the energy of the crowd cheering us on from the sides of the streets and the energy of all the other brave souls out there doing this super dumb thing as well. And eventually, I made it to the finish line. And the moment I crossed the finish line, I was so proud of myself. And if there were clipboards to sign up for the next race, I would have signed up, completely forgetting about all of the thoughts that were just in my head moments and moments ago of how stupid this was. And this is how I live my life. I feel the fear. I do it anyway. I often feel wildly unprepared and I still keep going. I go at my own pace I don't worry about what everyone else is doing around me. I use the fat tires or whatever it is I have. I get signs from the universe. I see them. I recognize them. I hear the message of keep going. And so here I am about to turn 40. And turning 40 is a different kind of journey for me. This is the year I would reclaim a part of myself I've been denying my whole life most of it completely unknown to me, at least on a conscious level. This would be the year I would set more fully, step more fully into my identity and own my story, even when the people around me didn't want me to. I did the bravest thing I've ever had to do. I broke my own heart. I 
asked my mom the question. I was the one to discover that my dad was not biologically my dad and that I was actually conceived via sperm donor. And I would continue to do the bravest thing I knew how, to open myself up to my half-siblings whom I'd never known of and give them a piece of my heart and in return receive a piece back. This is how I live my life. I live my life just being brave enough, not wildly courageous, just brave enough to do the next thing. So for this special episode, I have compiled a list of 40 of the quotes that have meant the most to me and have helped me courageously live my life. So this first quote is from Elvis Dumbledore from Harry Potter. Words are, in my not-so-humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic. So what this means to me is the language matters and the language can actually help us. The language, as Brene Brown says, can be a portal. It can help connect us with ourselves, with each other. And for me, writing and podcasting, these have all become a part of my own healing journey. And this is the quote that I share. It's from Elizabeth Gilbert. She wrote, Eat, Pray, Love. This is the quote I share more with anyone. So this is why it gets the number two spot. Fear. I recognize and respect that you are a part of this family. And so I will never exclude you from our activities. But still, your suggestions will never be followed. You're allowed to have a seat and you're allowed to have a voice. But you're not allowed to have a vote. You're not allowed to touch the roadmaps. You're not allowed to suggest detours. You're not allowed to fiddle with the temperature. Dude, you're not even allowed to touch the radio. But above all else, my dear and old familiar friend, you are absolutely forbidden to drive. This quote I share especially women going through fertility journeys, anyone I'm coaching or working with, this has become something I go back to over and over again is, yes, I'm not trying to live a life without fear. I don't think that actually exists, nor do I think it's even healthy. I think fear actually serves a purpose for us. Fear can help us not walk in traffic and get run over. It actually serves a purpose for us. So for me, it's like just checking in with myself. Is fear in the driver's seat? Because fear, you can come in the car. You can be in the back seat. You can even be in the passenger seat, but you can't be driving the car. And then staying with the fear theme, Cheryl Strayed, bravery is acknowledging your fear and doing it anyway. So very often, every single step I have taken in my life that has, you know, asked me to be brave or courageous, fear is with me. And I acknowledge it and I do the thing anyways. So I'm not one of those people that lets fear stop me. And it may stop me for a time. So don't get me wrong on that. There may be a period of time where I am afraid before I do the courageous thing. For example, this journey and the story that I shared about me finding out that my dad wasn't biologically my dad. I waited a year, one whole year before I asked my mom what I thought I knew at that point. So there is this time where you are gathering up your courage. 
but I know I will always do the brave thing, whatever's being called for me. Okay, number four. This is from Theodore Roosevelt, and Brene Brown was the first person who introduced me to this quote. It's actually from a speech he gave called The Man in the Arena. And we use this one in our house, Ian and I, so much that we very often ask each other, are you in the arena? Are you living your life in the arena? So it's a point to check in. So this is Theodore Roosevelt, the man in the arena. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. That is the man in the arena. Oh, this one. This is, are you living your life in the arena? Are you doing the things? Are you doing the things that scare you? I, you know, launching this podcast was a really scary thing for me to do. I'd never done it. I wasn't that great at it because I'd never done it. Here I am. I'm getting better at it, but I'm still have so much room to grow. And I received a two-star review on Apple iTunes. And it, of course, doesn't even say who left this two-star review as many people who leave not-so-nice reviews do so anonymously. And in that moment, how I can move through that is to say, well, my guess is, is that person is probably not in the arena. They're probably not out there trying to build a podcast and do something they've never done before and fail and fail publicly. And so whenever I'm feeling this mm, insecurity, whenever I'm feeling judged by other people, I have to ask myself, are they living in the arena. Because if they're not living in the arena, if they are in the cheap seats, if they are in the bleachers, I am not going to take their advice to heart. I'm not going to listen to what they have to say if they're not in the arena with me. Which brings me to the next one, number five from Deepak Chopra. What other people think of you is none of your business. So this one goes hand in hand. So other people's opinions of me is none of my business. Someone recently told me something that was really hurtful that somebody else had said about me. And of course, once again, anonymously. So I don't even know who this person was. And the part of me that wanted to say, well, who said that? Who said this thing? Who was it? I had to let it go. Because I was like, either way, even if I know who said it, it's none of my business. Other people are going to make up stories about you and me and what they think is your reality. But the truth is, what other people think of us is none of our business. 
Now, number six, Cleo Wade. She wrote, the beauty of you is not where you are perfect. It is where you are brave. The beauty of you is not where you are perfect. It is where you are brave. I've had to let go of a lot of perfectionism in my life. This is something that I struggled with from an early age, being in school and always overachieving and striving to win and be the best and to get great grades and all of these kind of things to do everything and do it well. I don't like to do anything I'm not great at, which I know many people think that way as well. But doing this podcast really brought out another level of perfectionism for me that I had to overcome. I have to be able to put things out into the world that are not perfect and be able to get better. And so this is what it is. The beauty of you is not where you are perfect. It is where you are brave. And Cheryl Strayed, my hero, if I'm to have one hero, it is her. Cheryl Strayed said, be brave enough to break your own heart. And this might be my favorite thing that she's ever said and has totally new meaning for me. Be brave enough to break your own heart. For me, this was being able to confront my mom and receive the truth rather than stay questioning, receive the truth that my dad wasn't biologically my own dad. This broke my heart in ways that I didn't even know were possible. But for me, I'm always going to seek the truth and the truth is always going to win out even when it means breaking my own heart. For somebody else, breaking your own heart might mean getting a divorce and having children involved and not wanting to do that and not wanting to break their hearts as well, but doing the thing that you know is truest and best for you, even though it might break your own heart on the way. Brene Brown said, owning our story and loving ourselves through that process is the bravest thing we'll ever do. Owning our story and loving ourselves through that process is the bravest thing we'll ever do. And I'm finding this to be true for myself the more I fully step into my story and the more my story changes and grows over the years. Me reclaiming these parts of myself and owning them and not living in shame or secrecy or judgment of myself this is the bravest work that I'll ever do. And I want that for you as well. Brene says, true belonging doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. So this is the difference between belonging and fitting in. The family that I grew up with, I feel like I know how to fit in with them but I don't know how to belong with them. So fitting in means I have to change who I am. I am always so conscious of what I'm saying and how it's being received. And I know exactly what I need to do to be able to fit in and keep everyone happy. But to be me, to be the truest version of myself is to belong. And I don't know how to do that with my family. And it makes me really sad. And I've had to build 
a circle around me of people that I can be my truest self with, that I don't feel judged and I can just be me. Number 10 is Brene Brown again. I have three of hers in a row. One day you will tell the story of how you overcame what you went through and it will become someone else's survival guide. So for me, it's not enough just to go through these moments in my life. It's also to learn and understand and find the beauty within these traumatic and challenging moments. And then the next level is to be able to help other people. It's to be able to show them what I've learned or offer a roadmap or say, try this, look this way. This is me losing my dad when I was five years old, knowing what grief was like from a child just changed my entire life. This was my stomach surgery that I experienced that was you know, a major medical malpractice was very traumatic experience and how I have gone through that and how I have healed my heart, my emotions, how I've healed my body physically. I now can show other people how to do these things. And young Pablo says, a hero is one who heals their own wounds and then shows others how to do the same. I think this one is my purpose. I think this of all the quotes is my purpose here on earth is to heal my own wounds and then show others how they can heal theirs. Cheryl Strade said, you don't have a right to the cards you believe you should have been dealt, but you do have an obligation to play the hell out of the ones you're holding. So yeah, we all have different parts of our stories and different traumatic events that we've experienced and we can stay there. We can be the victim. We can live in that energy our whole lives. Many, many people do, but this is not the way that I live my life. But the next quote is from Maya Angelou, and this is how I live my life. I can be changed by what happens to me, but I refuse to be reduced by it. So after I had this stomach surgery, I'm 22 years old. I'm so sick and had lost most of my hair and was just in and out of hospitals till I finally got the help I needed at the Mayo Clinic. I had this quote, which I still have on my bulletin board. And it was, I can be changed by what happens to me, but I refuse to be reduced by it. And that's how I lived going through this really challenging time. I allowed it to change me and change who I was, but I was not going to be reduced by it. And that's how I've met every challenge in my life. Maya Angelou says, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. So do the best you can until you know better. And when you know better, do better. And I think this also speaks to what Brene says is everyone is truly doing the best you can. And what I love about what Maya Angelou's quote is, okay, so once we know we're doing the best we can and if we know better, it allows us that space to grow in and do better. I have not done these things perfectly. The reason I have a podcast is because I need to learn this myself. 
I was not born knowing this. Well, maybe I was born knowing this information, but I forgot it. (laughs) I very much forgot it. And so it allows us that room for growth. Okay, so this is the longest quote that I'll share. This is from Brianna West. Your new life is going to cost you your old one. It's going to cost you your comfort zone and your sense of direction. It's going to cost you relationships and friends. It's going to cost you being liked and understood. It doesn't matter. The people who are meant for you are going to meet you on the other side. You're going to build a new comfort zone around the things that actually move you forward. Instead of being liked, you're going to be loved. Instead of being understood, you're going to be seen. And all you're going to lose is what was built for a person that you no longer are. Mm, Brianna West, I love this quote so much. And it speaks to the loneliness that sometimes when we go on these growth journeys, we're going to outgrow people. We're going to outgrow relationships and things and places. And that can feel sad and feel lonely. And I've spent so much time feeling misunderstood. I think there are people in my life that are committed to misunderstanding me forever. And It's not my job to convince them. It's not my job to make them see me. And the truth is, if you can be willing to let go of some of the people that are not seeing you and go through that really hard period of feeling alone and even lonely at times, the people that you will meet on the other side will see you. They will love you. And that I would rather have a few friends who see me than hundreds and hundreds of friends who misunderstand me. Emily Nagoski, she, her and her sister wrote the book Burnout, which is one of my favorite books on stress and emotions. She said, emotions are like tunnels. You have to go all the way through the darkness to get to the light at the end. This is, we have to go, the only way is through. We can't suppress our emotions. We can't stuff them down anymore. I think everyone, I think most people are starting to understand that we have to feel our feelings. The only way to be free of them is to feel them. Rupi Carr, she said, how you love yourself is how you teach others to love you. How you love yourself is how you teach others to love you. So you are the example. The world is not going to treat you well if you don't treat yourself well. You're the one who has to set the standards and the boundaries and love yourself and prioritize yourself. Rumi said, never give from the depths of your well, but from the overflow. Never give from the depths of your well, but from the overflow. To me, when I hear this quote, I visualize a teacup. I visualize a teacup on a saucer. And if I continue to love myself, if I continue to fill up my own cup, put my own oxygen mask on myself, then there's going to be overflow. So when I am loving and offering compassion and empathy to others, I am not giving and pouring from my own teacup. I'm pouring from the overflow that has happened onto the saucer. So that is really important to to remember to do. Number 19. Maya Angelou, 
I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. This is like the golden rule. Just treat people how you want to be treated. And every step that I take, I am trying to treat others the way I want to be treated. And I haven't done it perfectly, but I am trying and I'm getting better at it. And number 20, also Maya Angelou, it's one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself to forgive. Forgive everybody. This is forgiveness. This is a necessity. This is a necessity for growth. This is a necessity for loving yourself. Forgiveness is not saying that what you did to me is okay. There are things out there that are not okay and will never be okay. But it is offering yourself forgiveness and even the other person forgiveness. So you are no longer being held captive. By it, because very often these people that hurt us don't even know that we're walking around with this anger and resentment, this poison inside of us. So, forgive. My favorite way of helping myself with forgiveness is the Ho'oponopono, the Hawaiian mantra, Hawaiian prayer. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And I do this just about every day. And it works. It helps. It helps you reframe. It helps you let go of that energy. Number 21, young Pablo. You cannot build a deep connection with someone who is disconnected from themselves. You cannot build a deep connection with someone who is disconnected from themselves. This quote is freedom to me. <laughs> this quote for all of those relationships I've been pushing and trying to create and go deeper with, there are people that are not ready to meet you there and that's okay. No judgment, no shame towards them. But this was freedom for me to understand that it isn't necessarily about me in those scenarios. You can't build a deep connection with someone who's disconnected from themselves. People can only love you as much as they love themselves. And so once you understand that about other people, it's easier. It's easier to be in relationship and let go of some of the expectations that you might have had. Number 22, Glennon Doyle. Every time you're given a choice between disappointing someone else and disappointing yourself, your duty is to disappoint that someone else. Your job throughout your entire life is to disappoint as many people as it takes to avoid disappointing yourself. Disappointment is a really, really hard emotion and one that we experience very often. Everyone experiences it. And so when you are faced with the choice of, do I say yes to this thing because I feel obligated or I have to or some sort of duty to do it, or do I disappoint them in honor of honoring myself, staying true to myself? This is hard work, but it does get easier the more that you can do it and the more you can be uncomfortable. You're going to be uncomfortable if you have to say no to someone's face of, nope, I can't bake the cookies for whatever such and such event, you may disappoint them and you may experience that in real time disappointment. 
but let yourself feel that in that short moment rather than months of resentment leading up to whatever event or thing that you've agreed to do that you really know you had no business saying yes to. And that brings me to the next one from Glennon Doyle as well. We can do hard things. So I remind myself, whether it's in relation to disappointment or in relation to just doing the next thing, is we can do hard things. I had a friend who lost her father and I sent her a text the day of the funeral. You can do this. You can do hard things. And it doesn't make it easier. It doesn't make it any easier. And I don't want to do the hard things, but just that reassurance that I've survived every hard thing I've ever done. And so have you. Mary Oliver, she said in one of her poems, tell me what it is you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. What is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? This is the life. This is the moment. This is the present moment. And the next quote is from Wayne Dyer. Don't die with your music still in you. Don't die with your music still in you. So if this is my one wild, precious life, I still have music in me. I have a memoir that I'm working on. I want to become a mother. I still have things left here to do. And I'm not going to die with that music still in me. So I'm always working towards these things I dream of. From my most favorite book in the world, Paulo Kahlo, who wrote The Alchemist, when you want something, all the universe conspires in helping you achieve it. When you want something, all the universe conspires in helping you achieve it. And this means to me that when we are moving towards our dreams and our goals, that the universe is there to help us, even if it doesn't always look that way. But I know that I'm never alone. Number 27 from Oprah. You can have it all, just not all at once. Now, this is the quote that probably pisses me off the most of all the quotes on here. Shonda Rhimes in her book, The Year of Yes, also said something like this at the end. And I was like, oh, I hate this so much. In my mind, I want to have it all. I want my business to be, you know, at a level 10 and my family and being a mother and all of this. I want to do these things at the full max potential. But the reality that I'm learning is you can have it all, just not all at once. So there are times in my life where my business is really successful. And then there's times when my relationship with my husband's really successful and or I'm working on my fertility journey in a way that requires more attention. So you can have it all, just not all at once. Eckhart Tolle said, acknowledging the good you already have in your life is the foundation for all abundance. Acknowledging the good you already have in your life is the foundation for all abundance. Oh, this is so true. This is gratitude. So having a grateful heart, I practice gratitude every day, every night, you know, when I go to bed and every time when I wake up, I try to think of some things I'm grateful for. And that allows you to be in the present moment to recognize and see all that you do have rather than waking up and saying, 
I've been trying to have a baby for six years. Where the heck is she? She's not here and being in that lack and scarcity. So I do feel very abundant, very grateful. And I'm also working towards my dreams and my goals, but you have to have the gratitude or I would have lost six years of my life. Pierre Thiard de Chardin said, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience, but are spiritual beings having a human experience. We are not human beings having a spiritual experience, but are spiritual beings having a human experience. This is my belief, is that we are souls that have chosen to come to earth. This is our school, the earth school, and I am a spiritual being and I am having a human experience. Sirius Black, another Harry Potter quote, he said, the ones that love us never really leave us. You can always find them in here. And he pointed to his heart and Harry's heart. So the ones that love us never really leave us. And this speaks to spiritual beings I feel deeply connected to my dad, who's not physically here. It's a spiritual experience. And you can always find these people in your heart or giving you signs, showing you. I get signs from my grandma all the time. Cleo Wade said, faith means we don't just believe it will work out. We know deep down in our soul it will work out, even if it's in ways we've never imagined. This is what my fertility journey, this is what my life has taught me about is we don't know what the bigger picture is. We don't know how it's working out, but I trust that it is always working out. Wayne Dyer said, I am realistic. I expect miracles. And I expect miracles. And I think the more we see miracles and celebrate them, the more we recognize miracles. And Albert Einstein said, there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle, and the other is though everything is a miracle. So the good things that happen to me are miracles. The challenges, the bad things, quote unquote bad, those are miracles as well. Everything is a miracle. And quote number 34 is from Nora Roberts. She said, everything I know, I learned from dogs. I don't want to live in a world where there are not dogs. My dogs, Hunter and Bozzy, have taught me so much. They have taught me more than I think any person has ever taught me. When you see an animal, you know, with Bozzy a lot, I see him get scared when he's with other dogs. He can kind of get dominated and I see all the hair on his back goes up. And once we get him away, once we get him away from the thing he's scared of, he shakes his body. He has taught me so much about animals and what we as humans, we feel these feelings. We feel this, the fear. We feel the anger, the stress. And we just keep walking on our day. We pretend it didn't happen, but an animal will never do that. An animal will feel it's a feeling, whatever that thing is, and will shake its entire body to move it through its body. So they have taught me so much about my own body and about that need to move the energy through the body. 
and they've taught me about unconditional love. I think the only person I may have experienced unconditional love from is my grandma person, but my dogs, oh my goodness, <laughs> like unconditional love. Like that's why it hurts so much when we lose an animal is they only know how to love us conditionally. They're not there to punish us. They're not mad at us. I mean, they might act a little mad when we get home and we've left them for a long time, but they love us unconditionally. John Muir said, in every walk with nature, one receives far more than he seeks. So nature is a part of my life every single day, every season, every rain, snow, sleet. There is beauty in every single walk and every single time I receive far more than it is I think I'm going to get. And Oprah, this is number 36. She said, surround yourself with only people who are going to lift you higher. Surround yourself with only people who are going to lift you higher. These are my people. These are my mentors and my teachers and my dearest friends. And I wanted to share a few quotes from them. So one of my favorite quotes is, everything is happening for you, not to you. Everything's happening for you, not to you. And my writing coach, my friend, Samantha Wallen told me, write what wants to be written. So whenever I am in that place and I need to write, I think of her and I think of just write what wants to be written. Don't try and put it in a box. My best friend, Karen, she said, she's the one who taught me about don't go to the hardware store for milk. So just recognizing for me, this is all about my own emotions. I'm an emotional person and I can't go to the hardware store looking for milk. I can't go to someone when I'm feeling deeply emotional that is a hardware store. I have to only go where I know I can be safe. And Bonita, my teacher, one of my beloved teachers, Bonita said, she just told me one day, just row your own boat. It's so simple. Just row your own boat. So very often, when I get caught up worrying about other people and what everybody else is doing, and here I am, almost 40, no baby, all these things, I just row my own boat. And then another beloved teacher and friend, Sarah Swati, every single time, she's one of the few people I can really go to when I'm in the thick of it, when I'm really in a challenge. And when it's the right moment, she knows how to perfectly time it. She'll say, okay, great. Well, what else does this make possible? What else is possible because of this? And it has helped me reframe so many challenging moments in my life by just being like, okay, this really bad thing that you think is happening, what else does that make possible? And sometimes it takes years before I can see what else it makes possible. So for instance, me learning that my dad wasn't biologically my dad, that was the worst thing that I thought could happen to me besides him dying, this was the next worst thing. Well, what happened was a couple years later is I start to meet these half siblings of mine that I didn't know I had. And I got to experience this sense of belonging and connectedness with them. That's the what else is possible. But it took me years to get to that place. But she reminds me to hold that in my heart, that there are other things that are possible. And one of my dearest friends 
Amber, who is now living her best life in Italy, her and I will just send each other messages yelling, I love my life. We experienced this at a retreat together and just this reminder of living our best lives and being present and sharing. And then when I asked Ian, (laughs) I didn't ask any of these other people, but I did because I live with Ian. I was able to ask him, what are the quotes? I said, I know which one I wanted to share about him. And, but I asked him for his opinion and his, what he said was, it's all over, but the crying. So anytime I've been in one of these really challenging, you know, emotional (laughs) moments or, When I have left my sister, Mitzi, in Cape Cod, I just love her so dearly and love our time we get to spend together. Every time I get in the car to drive back from Cape Cod to New York, I'll start crying and he'll just say, okay, it's all over but the crying. We're at that part. But my quote when I think of him (laughs) is, burn the boats. So he's a competitive fisherman and this is how we live our lives is being all in on our dreams and what it is we're building. And so burn the boats. I think it came from like a Viking saying, which was like, okay, if you're going to take over somebody else's ship, you actually burn your boat. So you don't even have a boat to go back to. So your only thing to do is to succeed. And now 37. So, oh, this is actually the longest one that I'm going to read. This is from Brene Brown, and this is the Wholehearted Parenting Manifesto. And so if you are a parent or want to be a parent, like I highly recommend you have this. I actually had a friend draw it out for me. She's an artist, and I have hung it on my wall. So this is hung in my home upstairs where the baby's room is going to be. This is the parent that I want to be. So Brene Brown, Wholehearted Parenting Manifesto. She says, above all else, I want you to know that you are loved and lovable. You will learn this from my words and actions. The lessons on love are in how I treat you and how I treat myself. I want you to engage with the world from a place of worthiness. You will learn that you are worthy of love, belonging, and joy. Every time you see me practice self-compassion and embrace my own imperfections, we will practice courage in our family by showing up, letting ourselves be seen, and honoring vulnerability. We will share our stories of struggle and strength. There will always be room in our home for both. We will teach you compassion by practicing compassion with ourselves first, then with each other. We will set and respect boundaries. We will honor hard work, hope, and perseverance. Rest and play will be family values as well as family practices. You will learn accountability and respect by watching me make mistakes and make amends and by watching how I ask for what I need and talk about how I feel. I want you to know joy, so together we will practice gratitude. I want you to feel joy, so together we will learn how to be vulnerable. And when uncertainty and scarcity visit, you will be able to draw from the spirit that is a part of our everyday life. Together, we will cry and face fear and grief. 
I will want to take away your pain, but instead I will sit with you and teach you how to feel it. We will laugh and sing and dance and create. We will always have permission to be ourselves with each other. No matter what, you will always belong here. As you begin your wholehearted journey, the greatest gift I can give you is to live in love with my whole heart and to dare greatly. I will not teach or love or show anything perfectly, but I will let you see me and I will always hold sacred the gift of seeing you, truly, deeply seeing you. So that's from Brene Brown, The Wholehearted Parenting Manifesto. And that's the kind of mom that I dream of being. That is the intention that I'm setting. Number 38, we're almost there, is from Paulo Kahlo, the author of The Alchemist. He says, maybe the journey isn't so much about becoming anything. Maybe it's about unbecoming everything that really isn't you so you can be who you were meant to be in the first place. I love this quote. I love this quote so much because this this is my truth is that we all already know these things inside of us. We just forget them and we just get programmed in different ways and to lead us from that. And it's all about coming back to who we truly are. Which Rupi Carr says in the next quote, what is the greatest lesson a woman should learn? That since day one, she's already had everything she needs within herself. It's the world that convinced her she did not. So this is my dream. My hope for you is you know, you remember that you have everything you need inside of you. This is not to give your power away to anyone. You have all the answers you need. You are the one you've been seeking. You are the one you've been waiting for. You are your own hero. And so I'll leave you with the 40th quote, which has now become my saying and will soon become a tattoo on my arm. And that's to just go be brave enough. Brave enough. That's all you have to be is brave enough. Thank you. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. And if you loved this episode, will you please share it with a friend or two? Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you're sure to never miss a single episode. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM Network. Sound Advice FM. Women's Voices Amplified.